And the next thing we're going to do uh, is Jamie is going to come and do our Bible reading for us this morning. It's in 1 Samuel 18, verses 1 to 16. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David, because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him, and gave it to David and his armor, and even his sword, and his bow, and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing, to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. He said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul kept an eye on David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David, because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence, and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Thank you, Jamie. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. So this is the next part in our Sunday morning teaching series in the life of David. And and so far we have seen... David enter the scene as a forgotten eighth son of Jesse, anointed by Samuel. We've seen David's meteoric rise to fame as he defeated that taunting Philistine giant Goliath. And then we've seen David's God-given protector in his life in the face of Jonathan, who has looked after him and preserved his life. But there's one person in David's life so far we, we haven't really looked at very much, and that is King Saul. Now, now, there's a lot that could be said about King Saul, I think. I think we, we, you, know, you flick through First Samuel, you come across loads of him. But what I want to do, since we're looking at the life of David, I think it would be right for us to look at how it is that, that Saul, King Saul responds to David and his success. So, so you want to have a look at how it is that Saul reacts to David's defeat of Goliath, the song that the women of Israel sing, What does Saul do when David enters the scene? Well, here's here's the answer. Saul's response is one of jealousy. It's one of deep, festering, spreading, toxic kind of jealousy. That's Saul's problem. Now, now before we dive into looking at his response to David, I, I think it's probably worthwhile spending some time defining and understanding jealousy a little bit, because I think that's going to help us get under what's going on here in Saul's heart. Here's how I would define jealousy. Jealousy is that resentment uh, we feel when we see someone else enjoying a success, an advantage, or a benefit. 
Jealousy is that kind of low-grade, festering resentment towards someone who has something good going on in their lives. That's, that's how jealousy works. Now, maybe we understand a little bit about how jealousy works. You know, we, we might know that jealousy can be around something someone else has, can't it? Now, jealousy can be when we look into someone else's life and we see something that they own, a possession, and we feel resentful that they have it and we don't. You know, a car, a house, a pair of shoes, whatever. We, we feel jealous or resentful about something they have. Or it can be around something that they have done, right? And if they have been successful, they've got that promotion that you wanted. Something has gone on in their life. They've done something that you just kind of feel, I wish I had that, and you feel resentful towards them. But also jealousy can be around something that someone else is, right? I mean, you can look at a personality trait. You could look at even a spiritual gift. You can look at all kinds of different things in someone else's life, their personality, their popularity, whatever it is, something that they are, and begin to feel resentful of them because they just seem to make you feel small and inadequate, and you're jealous of that. So, so something of someone, who, what they have, what they've done, and who they are. Now, we know something about how jealousy works. I mean, secular psychologists the world over will tell us that jealousy is one of the most destructive emotions we can feel. Therapists and counselors devote incredible amounts of time to helping people deal with jealousy that's been allowed to run wild in somebody's life. And maybe we have experienced something of it before. Maybe not like the spun-out-of-control jealousy like Saul, where he's flinging spears at David, but, but maybe we have felt that seed of resentment before. Maybe we have looked into someone's life and felt that we can't be thankful for them because we wish we had what it is that they have or that they are. Maybe we felt something of the worry, the anxiety, the anger, the bitterness, the, the inadequacy that comes as we look into someone else's life and see them enjoying something that we wish we had. You see, jealousy is really quite destructive. But I want to have a look here. Have a look at Saul. Because I think Saul's character shows us something about the dynamics of jealousy. He shows us about how jealousy works. How it, how it kind of contorts his heart and his mind and leads to a very self-destructive place. You see, I think Saul's response to David shows us and teaches us a lot about jealousy. So let's have a look at that this morning. The million pound question I want to ask as we dive into this, really simply, is this. What does Saul's response to David teach us about jealousy? What do we learn about the dynamics of jealousy when we look at how Saul is responding to David? Now, now what I want to do, aim for this morning, is for every single one of us to see the gravity and the, how harmful jealousy is. I, I really want us to see that. But I also want us to see something of the hope and the help and the remedy that we have for jealousy. So I want to make four pit stops this morning as we look through this, as we, as we work our way through Saul's response. I want to have a look at the beginning. So, so where does his jealousy start? Secondly, I'm going to look at, have a look at the emotion. What's one of the main emotions that Saul is feeling here? Then I want to have a look at the destination. 
Where does jealousy lead to when we let it run wild in our lives? And then I want to have a look at the help. What do we do with our jealousy? Now, I know there's a lot of places we could turn to for this. Chapter 19, we see Saul's jealousy. Chapter 20, as we made a sketch last week, we see his jealousy. 23, we see it everywhere. But I want to camp out in chapter 18, because this is where we see the beginnings of his jealousy. Everything we see in his response to David onward begins right here. So studying this will surely give us the simple dynamics in the anatomy of jealousy right here. So so let's dive in. Let's, Let's be flies on the wall, shall we, as we watch this response unfold. Let's go to the first one, the beginning. Where does Saul's jealousy start? Now, there's two things I want you to see here. I think there's two clear things we can identify in Saul's life that I think contribute to his jealousy. The first one, we're going to have to flip back a couple of pages to chapter 15. Now, this is before David enters the scene. He's he's not there yet, but it's the moment where Saul has been rejected by God. Saul has made a massive mistake right here. Now, in chapter 15, God tells Saul, hey, you've got to go destroy the Amalekites. Go get rid of them, get rid of the king, all of their livestock, devote everything to destruction. Very simple thing, Saul is told. But there's a big problem, because he doesn't want, get, want to get rid of the best stuff. Now, this, this is an interesting thing, because you, you kind of think about Saul, he's, he's going to have it all. He's the king of Israel, that makes him the richest person in the entire nation, And even being the richest person, enough still isn't enough. He still wants the best stuff in order to to have more. He's he's willing to make this compromise. Have a look at what he does. Chapter 15, verses 8 and 9. And he took Agag, the king of Amalekites, alive. You see that? Alive. And devoted to destruction all of the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and oxen and of the fattened calves and of the lambs. And that was good. And would not utterly destroy them. And all that was despised and worthless, he devoted to destruction. Now think about what's going on here. A lot of people will read this and say, what Saul is doing is what we would call a compromise. He's not being fully obedient to what God has told him to do. He seems to be going halfway and then suddenly deciding, oh, I'm the boss. I get to decide. I'm the one who can call the shots, can't I? Now I understand that is a compromise. It's a half, halfway obedience right here. But but here's the thing, when it comes to a compromise, we've always got to ask the question, what is it that's driving the compromise? I mean, it's the same in our lives, any kind of halfway obedience, we have to ask the question, what's driving that? Well, I think for Saul right here, it's that he doesn't have enough. Saul wants the good stuff, doesn't he? He wants to keep the best things that he was told to destroy. What we are seeing in Saul is greed. He's dissatisfied with what he has, so much so that he is taking the plunder, and with a tight fist, he's not letting letting go. And we know after this, Saul is rejected by God. There's a new king on the way, and he's beginning to spin out of control even more. But we see greed in the seed of his heart right here. Now think about how greed works. Greed looks at self, looks at our own lives, looks at what we have, looks at what we've done, looks at what we are and is thoroughly dissatisfied and says, I want more. You know, the soundtrack of greed is, enough is never enough. I'm always wanting more. That's what we see in Saul. Let's jump forward to verse 18. I want to show you the second thing that I think contributes to his jealousy. 
Have a look at verse 6 and verse 9. Really interesting here. We hear this song that drives Saul crazy. I'll reread some of these words. And they were coming home. David returned from striking down the Philistine. That's Goliath. And the women came out of all of the cities singing and dancing to meet Saul with tambourines and songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang. This is right in Saul's face. It's going to wind him up, isn't it? And, and to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Now have a look here at Saul's response. And Saul was angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David tens of thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that, eye, uh, that day on. Look, look at some of the words that describe Saul's response to hearing that song. You see that he is very angry. The sense behind this word is that he is burning with anger. And then it says that he is displeased. The sense behind this word is there is a hostility in his response towards what he's hearing. And then it finishes right there, Saul eyed David from this day on. This this literally translates as keeping a watchful and suspicious eye of David. But have a look here. What this song is causing Saul to do is to compare himself with David. That's the second thing, comparison. He's looking into the life of David. He's hearing the songs of success. He's just seen it with his own eyes as he defeated Goliath. David's becoming very successful, and everyone loves David. And then Saul is comparing himself. And what does this comparison lead to? Well, when it meets with greed, it's going to lead to jealousy. Now now think about how those two things meet, greed and comparison, and think about how they produce jealousy in our lives. Greed says, what I have isn't enough. Enough is never enough. Comparison says, look at them. Look at their lives. Look at who they are. Look at what they have. Look at what they've done. Put these two things together, (laughs) you get jealousy. You get resentment. I don't have enough and they do and I think that should be mine. I feel resentful towards them because of who they are, what they have and what they've done. You can see how that works. So these two seeds in Saul's life seem to meet and produce this jealousy within him. Now now maybe we have experienced something of this before in our own hearts. We know what that seed is like. We know what it's like to feel greed or at least to feel very dissatisfied when we look at ourselves. And we know what it's like to compare ourselves to others. We are masters at that. We spend our entire days doing that, comparing ourselves to other people. We are brilliant at it. We do it more often than we even realize. And perhaps we know something of that jealousy. Maybe it's just in a seed form and we feel the frustration when we're around someone. Or or maybe it's a sense of inadequacy that they bring. Maybe they make us feel like a nobody. And by the way, it's not their problem, it's all ours. And maybe we've let that grow. Maybe we've been in those places in our lives where we we even want to be around them. We want them out of our presence because they make us feel so small. And then maybe we've let it run wild. And we know those experiences which seems to steal our joy. It steals our peace. And it turns into full-blown resentment. And you know where jealousy leads? It will upend our right responses of the good things in people's lives. Because we'll end up being delighted when someone else is miserable, and we'll be miserable when someone else is delighted. That's how jealousy works. And that's the beginning for Saul, isn't it? Okay, we've done the beginning. Let's have a look at the emotion. Where does this jealousy lead? What is it feeding on? 
Let's keep reading verses 10 and 11. Really difficult verse to understand right here. I'm going to do my best to explain this. And then we'll keep moving. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, and as he did day by day. Saul had a spear in his hand. Remember that? And Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall, but David evaded him twice. Now, maybe you're asking the question at this point. Well, hang on a second. There's a harmful spirit, and that's given by God. How are we supposed to understand that? Well, here's what I think is going on here, is that Saul is experiencing something of God's judgment. I love how Tim Keller, in a sermon on this same, same text, describes God's judgment as giving us what we have already chosen, letting us walk down the path that we have already decided. He's giving us what we have asked for. And there's a similar word used in Judges chapter 9, the phrase, the harmful spirit is given by God. And in that situation, it's Abimelech. There's tensions between him and there's fighting the men of Shechem. And then a harmful spirit is given by God and the tensions and the fighting gets even worse. So they've already made their decision. God sends a harmful spirit and it just seems to get worse for them. He's given them what they've already asked for. Saul's already spinning out of control. Romans chapter 1 tells us that God is is the most fair-minded judge imaginable. Far fairer than any of us would be. And he gives Saul what he's already chosen right here. But we're still asking the question, aren't we? What what is this emotion that Saul is feeling? Where does this jealousy lead? Let's keep reading. Look at verse 12. Interesting word in this. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. See that? He's afraid. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him commander of a thousand and he went out and came in before the people. David had success in all of his undertakings for the Lord was with him. Look at verse 15. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful of him. can also be translated as dread. Saul feels dread about David. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Now it's interesting, the emotions that we're given regarding Saul's response right here is that David makes him fearful. Saul is scared of David. That seems strange, doesn't it? That, we would, that, that there would be fear is the emotion that jealousy is leading to. I mean, jealousy is feeding on this fear. That seems strange, doesn't it? Because I think if we, you know, if I'd said this morning, hey, why don't we write down some words that we would associate with jealousy? I wonder what we would write. I mean, we might write bits. We might write frustration. We, we might write sadness because they make us feel so inadequate. Maybe some of those emotions we would associate. Could, could well feel that. But the root emotion Saul is feeling here is fear. Now, why is it that his jealousy is leading to fear? What's going on? Well, think about how jealousy works. Jealousy begins with greed. I'm dissatisfied with me. Has comparison. Look at them and look at what they have. And then we go back like a tennis match, back and forth between our dissatisfaction and what they have and we don't. Back and forth, back and forth. And what happens in that is that those people become a threat to us. And whenever we have a threat in our lives, the emotion we feel around a threat is fear, isn't it? Threats make us fearful. And so that makes complete sense, that Saul feels jealous of David's success, and it results in fear of David, 
Because when he looks at David, he sees David as a threat. He even says it right there. What more can he have but the kingdom? David is a threat to Saul. Now, this will be true in our lives too. That if we let jealousy grow, if we let it spin out of control in our lives, we will turn the people in our lives into threats and we will end up becoming fearful of them. Now think about how David is a threat for Saul. I think this is really interesting. Let's dig down a little bit, shall we, here. How does, how does this play out in Saul's life? Well, I think there's, there's two ways that David is a threat. The first way is that David is better than Saul. You know, that's what the song says, right, that the women sing. Saul struck down his thousands, David tens of thousands. So David is better than Saul, and that's what Saul is hearing. Now that's true in our lives, isn't it? Because we might find an area of our life that we think we're quite good at. It's usually the place where we're building our identity, our worth and our value. Usually in something quite fa- fragile, but that's what we do. We'll find our worth in something. And it might be like, well, uh, I'm, I'm the one with the money, or I'm the one with the intelligence. I'm the one who can do this. Here's my value and acceptance in the world around me. This is who I am. And then when somebody comes along who can do it better than we can, we begin to feel jealous. And they're a threat in our lives. And when, we're, when they're a threat, we're fearful. So David is better than Saul. But also I think we can identify another way he's a threat is that David compounds the sense of failure that Saul will already feel. Saul knows he's been rejected. He's already got, he's got that. He's now distorted in his thinking. But what does he say? He says, look, look, David, he knows right there. He's afraid of him because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. So David's presence not only showed Saul that someone was better than him, but David's presence only compounded, doubled down on Saul, the sense of failure that he already felt. This is true in our lives as well. There's going to be areas in our lives, different for all of us, where we feel completely rubbish, completely inadequate, and like a proper failure. All of us. are going to, It's probably going to be different for everyone. But somebody comes into our life who can do that very thing we feel like a failure at, how are we going to feel? Now, often this happens in our, in our relationships, particularly with uh, you know, in marriages and with a boyfriend and girlfriend, we can get jealous. Now, why is that? Somebody comes along who has the very thing that you feel inadequate in. And what they do, they compound your sense of failure. What can happen? You get completely jealous of them because they've got something that you wish that you had. You feel resentful. And the reason they become a threat is because they compound the sense of inadequacy you already feel. It's not their problem most of the time. It's actually ours. But you notice that in Saul. David is a threat for these two reasons. And if we bring them both together, we see that David coming on the scene is making Saul feel like a nobody. He feels like he's not acceptable anymore. David is tapping away at Saul's identity. They love David and they don't love me anymore. I'm the failed king. Do you see where this jealousy leads Saul? It is feeding on fear. He's turning David into a threat. Let's keep moving. I want to ask this next thing. Where does jealousy lead? The destination, where does it lead? I'll give you three brief things here. First place jealousy leads for Saul is rivalry. Do you see what he does right here? He sends David, in verse 13, out to be a commander of a thousand. Seems like a strange thing to do just after we've been told he's, he doesn't like David and he's keeping a jealous, suspicious eye of David. Why would he put him in charge of men? Well, I think what's going on is that Saul is placing David in a place of risk. 
Because if David gets put on the front line, then hopefully somebody's going to take David out and he's done for. This is a way of dealing with the threat, isn't it? But he's a rival. We'll do the same thing in our lives when we're jealous of someone. We'll turn somebody we are supposed to be celebrating the goodness of God in their lives and we'll turn them into a rival. We're great at that. Maybe just in our own hearts. Maybe with our words we'll throw some spears. But we turn people into rivals, don't we? The second place we see in Saul is is it's fixation. It leads to fixation. Now, if you continued reading on through 1 Samuel, you would get to chapter 19, you'll see fixation. Chapter 20, uh, we sketched that last week. We would see fixation. Chapter 23, he's just completely fixated with, G- with, 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 with David. He just can't be thankful for what God is doing in his lives. He's totally jealous. Same is true for us. When we get jealous of someone, when we see that they have something, they are something, they do something that we don't have, we can lose peace. We can lose joy. It will rub us of sleep. It will destroy our bodies. This is not good. We know that sense of fixation. Third, it leads to self-destruction. Now we know that spiritually. That happens for Saul. He's spiritually in a spiral. He's, He's long gone here. He's destroying himself. But we know that's true with our jealousy as well. Because jealousy causes us to to, to not be thankful over the work, work of God in someone else's life. Je- jealousy will stop us from being grateful for God's blessings in the people's lives around us. Jealousy will dismantle our peace. Jealousy will take our joy. Jealousy will make us tired and anxious and fearful people. Jealousy hurts us. But it will also hurt us, not just spiritually, but it's physical self-destruction too. Clinical psychologists will say that jealousy is one of the most destructive emotions that we can feel. Jealousy, it leads to incredible amounts of cortisol in the body and stress. Jealousy can lead us into a place of depression. And jealousy has been proven to play havoc with our immune systems. You see, jealousy is harmful. It hurts us. It leads to a place of self-destruction in so many ways. Okay, well, that's Saul right there. We've got one more question, haven't we? Because we need help. What do we do with our jealousy? What do we do with it? Now, you might be thinking to yourself this morning, look, James, I'm not like Saul. I'm not throwing spears at people. I'm I'm not doing that. I don't want to see someone in my life dead. I mean, I don't want to be around them, but I'm not that bad, am I? I'm not like Saul. Now, I'm hoping you haven't let the seed of jealousy grow so that you were throwing spears at people. I'm pleased you're not doing that. But let's be real with ourselves. There are moments of jealousy in our lives. Are there moments when we feel greedy for the things that we don't have? Are there moments when we compare ourselves to other people? Are there moments where we feel resentful because of what they have, what they've done, and who they are? Absolutely. We might not be throwing physical spears, but metaphorically, we know how to throw them. We know how to make rivals. We know how to tear someone else down behind their backs because they make us feel small and inadequate. We know what jealousy is like. And here's the thing. If we don't get that seed, if we don't pick that weed out, it's going to grow and it's going to spread and it's going to fester. We know what this is like. But how do we, how do we deal with it? Where, where do we take it? Well, the answer's here in, the, in chapter 18. Now, you know, at the top of chapter 18, we get introduced to Jonathan. I think one of the main aims of chapter 18 is to contrast the two responses to David. We've got Jonathan, who's Saul's son, the once future king, and then you've got Saul, 
And look at the, the, the contrast in their response. Saul is spinning out of control in jealousy at David's success. How does Jonathan respond? He celebrates David's success. He's supporting what's going on in David's life. I'll protect you. I'll preserve you. I'll make sure you stay alive in face of all of the threats that you are facing. You see, Jonathan is showing us that the opposite to jealousy is celebrating the good things in someone's life rather than resenting them. Look at how Jonathan responds. Now we might kind of say at this point, well, I want to I respond like Jonathan. I don't want to spend my life in self-destruction, looking into other people's lives and feeling resentful. I know that hurts me and it hurts others. But how do I respond like Jonathan? That's difficult, isn't it? Particularly when you feel as inadequate as I do. How do I do that? Here's your answer. We go to our ultimate better and true Jonathan. His name is Jesus. We take our jealousy to Jesus. Now, when we go to Jesus, we find two incredible things he does for us. The first thing Jesus does for us is he dies for our jealousy. No, Jesus lived the totally untoxic, jealous life. Jesus didn't look and see the ultimate goodness in someone else's life and feel resentful. How do we know? We know that because he did the ultimate sacrifice to ensure we had good in our lives. Jesus went to the cross precisely because he doesn't have the toxic jealousy of Saul. Jesus never had a jealous moment like we do in our lives, spinning out of control as we're trying to make rivals with other people because they make us feel small. No, Jesus is the opposite of jealous. The Bible tells us he went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. So rather than resenting the good in someone else's life, he fought for it, he died for it, and it is his greatest joy and his life for us to experience the ultimate goodness of God in our lives, which is knowing his grace and knowing his mercy and knowing his forgiveness and having a completely transformed identity. That's what Jesus died for, and he rose for the victory we could never win ourselves, all because he wanted us to know the ultimate goodness of God in our lives. That's what Jesus fights for. And so when we go to Jesus, we find that Jesus not only dies for our jealousy, but we find one who was never toxically jealous like us. But there's another thing that happens when we go to Jesus. He gives us a new identity. He gives us security. And he gives us the value that we're looking for. Now think about everything we've said about jealousy. How does it work? Jealousy is fed by greed and comparison, and we get resentful. And then we turn other people into threats. You know, when someone else is a threat, what's going on in our hearts? They're going to make me a nobody. They're going to take away the acceptance I have from someone. And they're not going to love me. I'm not as valuable anymore because they're in my life. I feel insecure being around them. I'm totally inadequate. I feel like an utter nobody who's not worthy of any acceptance. That's what jealousy does to us. And here's what's so awesome about the Christian message and makes this, makes this message so, so unique. Is that Jesus, when we experience his grace and salvation, he gives us a new identity. And because of Jesus, we have the delight of the Father in our lives. And because we stand in Jesus, knowing his cross and his resurrection, that means we have the delight of the Father over us. That means we have a father who says, you are my son, you are my daughter, and I will never let you go. You are completely valuable to me. That's why I gave my son to go to the cross for you. 
And you have a security and an assurance. I will never, ever, ever let you go. No one can pluck you from my hands. You are accepted by grace alone. That means it can never be taken away. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think there's any other message in the world that can give us that kind of security. There is no message in the world that can give us that kind of an identity that can never be taken away. And you know what? When we experience that and when we stand in that and we live in that identity and that security, what happens? That means we don't have to look into other people's lives and feel like we're not accepted anymore, to feel like we're a nobody and to feel like there's no security. Because we have security in Jesus, that dismantles our jealousy. And you know what it turns into? It, it, it stops us from our greed and our comparison. It stops our jealousy, which makes us resentful at other people. And it transforms us into people who look at the good things in someone else's life. What they have, who they are, what they've done. And we're able to celebrate the good thing that God has given. Jesus will give us a security that completely changes us. Now this morning, we have dug into Saul's response, his jealous response, haven't we? We've seen the beginning, we've seen the emotion, we've seen the destination, and most importantly, we have seen the help that is found in Jesus. The one who died for our jealousy, and the one who secures our hearts like no other, and brings a remedy to jealousy, so that we don't resent. And we can celebrate the goodness of God in the lives of others. So may we be captivated this morning by the security, the acceptance, and the value and the delight that we have in Jesus. Hey, I'm going to pray for us right now. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your word. It is living, it is active, it is sharper than any double-edged sword. It seems to go right into our hearts and expose us. It shows us where our insidious patterns of sin are. It exposes how inward we can go. It shows us how much we are in need of your grace. But we also love how your word points us to Jesus and tells us that there is always help. That we do have a savior. And that we can run to Jesus. Who never spun out of control like Saul but instead gives his life so that others might experience the ultimate good of salvation. Father, we pray by your Holy Spirit in us right now, we would be captivated by the goodness, by the acceptance, by the value and the security of identity that Jesus gives. And we're praying in Jesus' name this morning. Amen.